Was Mick Jagger right? I know what you're probably thinking. No, Bill. Whatever the rest of the question is, he was not right. Okay, I understand that. I appreciate that, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones. Um, But let's ask the rest of the question. Was Mick Jagger right? You can't always get what you want. Was Mick Jagger right about that? You can't always get what you want. But what's the rest of that? If you try sometimes, you just might find what? You get what you need. You get what you need. That song played an important role in the movie The Big Chill from several years ago as well. This morning's lesson is the last of the series on the Ten Commandments. I've called it the Ten Questions. And we've looked all through those commandments and we've put them in a 21st century context and broadened them out a little bit. And today is the last one of those. And this statement um, from Mick Jagger and Keith Richards is one that is specifically talking about this last of the Ten Commandments. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometime, you just might find you get what you need. I think the question that this message and this last of the Ten Commandments asks today is, is that enough? Is that enough for us? Commandment number 10 is this, be content. Be content. Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This last of the Ten Commandments is somewhat similar to commandment number 8 which was the one that said, don't steal, but rather instead of stealing, give. Be willing to share what you have rather than taking something that belongs to someone else. This one is somewhat similar, be content. Our shepherd Grant Knight in in the shepherd's prayer a little bit earlier praised God because God always gives us what we need. He always provides for us the things that we need. And the way he put it is, God always provides what's best for us. What I have found through the years is that God and I don't always agree on what's best for Bill. Just like these kids up here, they may not agree with their parents on what, and with Santa, on what should be on their Christmas list that gets checked off. You always do what's best for us. Be content. Are we going to be okay if we don't get everything we want? And even more so, are we going to be okay if we don't get some of the things that we especially want? You know, it could be that the opposite of being covetous, which this commandment, of course, in the negative condemns, it could be that the opposite of being covetous is being content. The specific commandment says, you shall not covet. 
And so let's talk about that for just a few moments this morning. First of all, what does it mean to covet? That's not a word we use a lot, I think. What does it mean to covet? The dictionary definition is to yearn to possess or have something, to want, to desire, to lust. And I think that last term especially helps us to recognize and to understand the sinful part of this. Because it's okay to desire something. It's okay to want something. It's okay to even work to attain it or achieve it or possess it. But coveting takes over when lust takes over. And so as we think about the difference between a want and a goal, for example... Versus coveting or lust, that helps us to understand that. Having goals is a good thing. Working hard to achieve or to attain those goals is a good thing. Desiring something, wanting something, planning for it, working towards it, all of that is good. All of that is good. But when that desire turns into lust and turns into covetousness, then we have crossed that line and have put something else in the place of God. We are now coveting. To covet is to want something so badly, I think, that you are willing to give up your values, to stop being who you are as a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ in order to get it. How do I know, Bill, if I'm just wanting something or working towards something and not coveting? Well, the question is, are you giving up your values in order to attain that? Are you acting in ways that are not consistent with God's Word? Are you acting in ways or doing things that actually contradict the person God wants you to be, the teaching in the Word of God that He has given us? When I say I'm willing to go past those things, even contradict those things, disobey those things in order to get this thing that I desire. When we get there, then we are guilty of coveting. But let's put it a different way. It's not just that we're willing to give up our values in order to get that. Are we willing to give those values up if we don't get it? How do I respond when the answer from God is no? How do I respond when this thing I want is not given to me? When this position I want goes to someone else? When this relationship I want ends or doesn't happen at all? How do I respond? I think how we respond is a good indication of whether we are guilty of coveting or or not. A strong desire, a strong want, that's, that's not coveting. That's something natural that we all experience from time to time. But what if that thing that we strongly desire and want and even pray for doesn't ever happen for us? How do we react 
And if we check our Christian values and biblical teaching at the door because we say, it's okay for me to react this way because that happened, then what we were doing was we were coveting something. Because we can't always get what we want. But if we're followers of Jesus Christ, what we will find is we will get what we need. And again, the question is, will we be okay with that? Will we trust God enough that we'll continue to follow Him even if He doesn't act the way we want Him to act? And this is, of course, not just material things. Coveting takes greed, jealousy, even envy to a whole new level. And that can happen over physical things, material things, like things that we want for Christmas. Or things that we want in our life, or things that we want for our family. Those are all things that could go this way. But it's not just material things. It can be physical characteristics. Lord, I want to be able to do this or that or do those things better to have these things. I I want certain gifts. I want certain talents. I want certain abilities. And I've worked hard to attain them. And if that never happens, even still, in spite of our efforts, how do we respond? How do we react? It can be mental or emotional qualities, capabilities, job positions, positions in the community, places of leadership even in the church. It can be spiritual things, spirituality, spiritual strength, even spiritual gifts. Paul talks a lot about that, as you know, to the church at Corinth throughout 1 Corinthians, but perhaps especially in chapter 12, when he says we're one body but many members, and every member has different gifts, and one member shouldn't say I'm not a part of the body because I don't have that gift, and I want it. I want to be able to lead singing like Kelly or Rusty or the others. I want to be able to stand in front of the congregation. I want to be able to serve in this particular way. And we can want that, and that's a good thing, and we can work to get there, and that's an even better thing. But trusting in God, in the words of 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts we have are from the Lord, and the Lord has placed each member in His body the way He wants them to be. Are we okay with that? What's the difference between an innocent desire to have something and wanting something so badly that it turns into sinful, unhealthy coveting? A few examples. First of all, Joshua chapter 7 is the story of Achan. You remember this story. Moses had gone up Mount Nebo and didn't come down. Aaron and Miriam had already died. And now the Jordan River was before them, but it was not Moses who would lead them across. It was Joshua And God gives Joshua his marching orders, and he says, destroy everything. Everything. 
man, animal, treasures, everything is a sacrifice to me. And everyone did that except one man by the name of Achan. And he saw something that he wanted so badly that he kept it. And he didn't destroy it. And he dug a hole and he buried it. And because of that, they lost the next battle royally, even though it was an easy one to win. And Joshua throws himself before the Lord and and says, I I thought you were going to fight for us. And God says, you know, the the old translation says, there's sin in the camp. Somebody disobeyed my command. And in doing so, the nation suffered. And so they cast the lots, and it turns out to be Achan who kept all of those things. Well, he had, he had coveted those things. Not just that he wanted them, not just that he saw them and said, you know, I wish I had that, but this is meant for a sacrifice to the Lord, so be it. In Acts chapters 4 and 5, we read in the New Testament about Barnabas and his incredible gift and how everyone sang his praises, even named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Because of his generous giving. And Ananias and Sapphira, they saw that. And in chapter 5, it's recorded, they really wanted people to think that way about them. And so they sold some land and they brought money to the apostles and elders. And they said, here, this is everything we earned off this. Aren't we something? (laughs) But it wasn't. It was a lie. And if they had only just come and shared whatever they wanted with the leaders of the church... uh, 50%, 20%, 5%, whatever it was, if they just brought it and said, look, we sold this property, we're giving this out of those earnings to the Lord, to, to the church, to let you do with what you will. They would have been praised just exactly the same way Barnabas was, but that's not what they did because they coveted that praise. They coveted people to think that way about them. And so they were willing to give up their integrity to attain it. They lied. And as you know, it did not go so well for them. Jesus says in Luke 12, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What a great statement for our nation, right? What a great statement for our communities, for our families. Life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. And if we think it does, then we're coveting. That's called greed. In James chapter 4, James says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You don't have those things that you ask for because you're asking for them with the wrong motive. You're not asking, God, give me this so that you can be glorified. You're asking, Lord, give me this so that I can be glorified. Ananias and Sapphira. Give me this so that I can have what I really, really want, Achan. And then when we don't get it, what happens? According to James in the first century church, it's no different than it is today. We fight about it. We squabble over it. 
Because we look around and we say, well, Lord, you gave that to them. How come they get it? And I don't. How come I have to suffer and they don't? How come you answered their prayers yes and mine no? This is what it means to covet. To want something so badly that we are willing to give up our values in order to receive it. Or to gain it. Or to be it. And if we don't get it, then we quarrel and fight. If we don't get it, we quarrel with each other. We're jealous of each other. We're envious of each other. And we're even angry at God. Because he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to. That's what it means to covet, I think. We could say more, but let's go on. Secondly, what does it look like if we are keeping this commandment? That's examples of what it looks like to break it. How about, what does it look like to be content, to not covet? Well, first of all, I think we are grateful. We are grateful. That great passage in Colossians 3, also Ephesians 5 and some others, says that we are to sing with gratitude in our hearts to the Lord. If you're not singing... What does that say about your heart? (laughs) You're not grateful. That's what it says. You're not counting your blessings. You're thinking about those things that God has not provided for you instead of the things that he has. It's all about perspective. And gratitude is one of those where we recognize the way we are so very blessed. And when we recognize how blessed we are, even if we don't get everything that we want... Our hearts are overwhelmed with gratitude and joy, and we sing. We sing. It's the same thing that Tucker led us off with in Psalm 118. We're singing these praises to God. We are giving God praise and thanks. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we are rejoicing always. We are praying constantly, and we are giving thanks in everything. Even the things that didn't go our way, Bill, yes. Even those Because we trust in our God. How do we know if we're being content? Number one, we are grateful. Number two, we are genuinely happy for others. That great verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And you've heard me say this before. The second part of that is much easier than the first one for most of us, I think. When someone goes through a tragedy or a loss or something, we're right there on the spot to bring them comfort and encouragement and help. But what about when someone is blessed? What about when someone has some great blessing, some great achievement? Something wonderful that they have attained or been given. Can we rejoice with them? We are genuinely happy for others, instead of wishing them harm or even plotting against them, (laughs) we rejoice for them and with them. Third, we give generously. As Wayne prayed during our contribution time, we give generously, thankfully, out of gratitude. Wise man in Proverbs says, all day long the wicked covet, but the righteous give and do not hold back. How do I know, Bill, that I'm not coveting you give. You give. Rather than holding on to something so tightly so that maybe you'll be able to get what you really, really want. You're willing to share it. 
You give generously. Number four, we trust God. We trust God. We spoke recently about Jesus reminding us in Matthew 6 of how God takes care of the birds and the flowers. He'll take care of us too that he values so much more. And there's that great verse in Philippians 4 verse 13. I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength. You say, Bill, what does that have to do with being content? I'm glad you asked. Number four is we trust God. Number five is we are content. That's how we know that we're not coveting. We are content. In Philippians chapter 4, the very context that verse 13 is found in, verses 10 through 20, that whole passage, Paul is talking to the church at Philippi in modern-day Greece about the gifts that they had given him. They were probably his primary financial support for his mission work. And he thanked them over and over again, and he glorified God over and over again. And in that conversation in Philippians 4, he says, hey, look, I get it. We don't have any promises in this world. There are times when I didn't have enough to live on. I was in poverty. And there were times when I had an overabundance. And I have learned that I can be content in both. And in the midst of saying that, he says, I can do all things. Through him who gives me strength. You see, Paul's contentment and his peace and even his joy were not dependent upon the things he had or the things he attained or the position he had. They were dependent upon his trust in God. And so as Wayne shared during our uh, communion time today, he talked about purpose, and he talked about hope, and he talked about assurance. And Jesus gives us all three of those. He gives us a purpose to glorify him in however way he chooses. He's given us a hope in that mansion that's there that he's preparing for us. He's given us assurance that through his blood we will get there. The question again today is, is that enough? Is that enough? Is the purpose that God has for you enough? Can you be content with that? His purpose for you might be a great big thing. And he does that sometimes. But for the overwhelming majority of us, that's not the case. It's the little things day in and day out. The impact that we might make on someone with an act of kindness or a word of encouragement that he has called us to, to that very person at that very moment to give them a little bit of the love of Christ. He's given us that purpose to share his word and love with others. Is that enough? Can we be content with that? Well, this is the conclusion of the series, and I hope and pray that it has challenged you to be reminded of the call to seek God's will and to trust in Him enough to faithfully obey His Word in all you say and in all you do. And I believe it's no accident that the Ten Commandments end with this one. Be content. Do not covet. Do not covet. You see, an unhealthy, selfish desire coveting something is at the root of all sins. And that's a pretty big statement. 
What we're talking about today is at the root of all sins, and it goes back to Genesis 3. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God gave them one thing that was off limits. And he told them, in the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. And Satan comes along, and Adam and Eve are both looking at that fruit, and they want it. They want it. It's not enough that they had everything else that God had given them. This they wanted, and they wanted it so badly that they gave up everything else to have it. And that's how coveting ends up. That's how coveting ends up. Oh, we might get what we think we want, but the price we pay for it is to lose everything that we are and everything that we've been promised. The answer to coveting is contentment. Genuinely, wholeheartedly trusting God. That I believe that I won't get everything I want, but I'm okay with that. Because my trust isn't in myself. My trust is in my God. I trust fully, completely in God. And so I do believe at the heart of everything, I'll have what I need. And I genuinely and wholeheartedly trust God enough that I will obey Him. I will live the way he calls me to live. This is what it takes to follow the Ten Commandments today. To trust God completely. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand. Sing our song together.